0: Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of the Making Room on the Pew podcast. My name is Bailey Jo Welch Pomerantz, your host here on the show, and I am so happy that you are here with us this week. This is episode 29. Today on the podcast, we have Kate Boyd. Friends, if you do not know Kate or if you have not connected with Kate yet, you are going to want to the second you hear this conversation, I promise you. Kate is a writer, speaker, and Bible teacher who believes discipleship isn't a bucket to fill or a box to check off, but something that should permeate our entire lives. She spent a lot of her life in a Bible Belt bubble, me too. And then she got a job at a missions agency, and she got to travel the globe, and she started to see what God was doing. And she also realized that her idea of community and Christianity was really pretty shallow. Since then, Kate has been studying what a little c church is and what the big c church is. And she's convinced that we've limited ourselves by the boxes and buildings we've built. God wants more. God wants deeper. Yes, Kate, that's exactly what the show is about. I am so thrilled to have her on the podcast today, friends. I really think you're going to be served well by this conversation. She's so smart. She is really eloquent. She is great all around. A wonderful person and I'm so excited that I connected with her on Twitter and here on the podcast. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Kate Boyd. Kate, welcome to the Making Room on the Pew podcast. I'm so glad to have you here. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Okay. So for those of you of our listeners who maybe haven't um, connected with you yet or who are wondering, who is Kate? Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about who you are, what you do? Yeah, my name is Kate. Um, I live in the Dallas, Texas area with my husband and my dog. Um, By day, I do communications work at a university here. Um, By some other parts of the day, I attend seminary. (laughs) And, um, you know, in my free time, I love talking about, um, what church is and what it can be, and even helping people sort of rethink, um, church to be effective in its discipleship. So it's, it's sort of a a big hat, but, um, it's really fun to sort of dig into that stuff for me. So that looks a lot of different ways, but that's kind of like me in a nutshell. (laughs) I know that question is always so hard. I know. Yeah. I'm much more like, which specific things do you want to know? Um, But yeah, you get kind of, I just, I'll give you an umbrella and you can pick where you want to go from there. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Why did you decide you wanted to go to seminary? Is that something you've always wanted to do? I wouldn't say always. Um, so when I went to college, I got a degree in journalism and I thought I would come out and work at a magazine or something. That was kind of what I was thinking. Um, and right out of college, I actually felt called to seminary. So I started at a seminary and went for about a year and a half, but finances and other circumstances dictated that I stop. Um, and you know, I was really upset about that for a while. And then, um, got some really great just sort of life experiences working at, um, a missions agency, um, and eventually, um, that's sort of like, to me, I, I call that like my, um, education at the passport seminary. Like that's sort of where I got a lot of like ideas about church and discipleship in a new way. Um, and then, you know, I did a lot of other things in between, and then I ended up working at a university that had a seminary. And so one of the perks is that I get to go there. So, um, if I could get into the program, which I did, so it all just sort of kind of lined up again at this time in my life when, um, when I actually have capacity for it again. So it was really fun to see all that come together. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I love stories like that, where you can just like see it kind of like locks in a door, kind of like click all in. Yeah. Well, and it's also really fun. So my family actually moved or my dad's family, I'll say actually moved to Dallas because my grandfather actually taught at that seminary, which is like this weird, like full circle thing for my family. Um, which I didn't even think about really when I applied to work at the school, I just was looking for a job and um, it just ended up being part of God's plan to put me there. So it's really kind of fun to sort of like, I haven't really gotten to be in any of the classrooms because we're all virtual right now, but it's been really fun to kind of, think about, or like even my dad and my mom, you know, got married in the chapel that was on campus. And so it's really fun to kind of like walk around and be like, oh, I wasn't here when all of this happened, but this is part of my history that I didn't really get to engage with before. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. So how, how long do you have left in seminary? Are you? Oh, I like just started. Um, And so I'm kind of on a I'm on, I'm technically on a degree plan. And if I complete the degree plan, it will probably be about five years because I go part-time. Um, but I'm not really, if I get a degree, great. If I don't, that's fine with me too. I've kind of reached that part of my life where, I mean, I don't know where God is taking me ministry wise specifically. um, So I'm really just kind of like prioritizing all the things that I want to learn. (laughs) Then if they end up making a degree in the end, fantastic. But if they don't, that's cool too. I got to learn a lot of cool things with a lot of cool people. Yeah, I think that there is so much um, value in that of saying like, I'm gonna go and I'm going to learn because I know this is where I should be or even just like, I'm interested in it and I want to learn it. And it doesn't really need to add up to a degree, especially in this world where it's like, get your degree. You have to get your degree in, you know, in this amount of time, or you have to go to grad school. Um, I think that's so cool that you're doing it just for the love of learning. Yeah. I mean, the achiever in me sometimes does come out and it's like, but that's not, where am I going to be? Or gosh, it's going to take so long, but I have to keep reminding myself that Yeah. That it is for fun in a way. I mean, it's, it's very useful and I love, like I could learn about these kinds of things all the time. It's what I think about constantly. Um, And so to be in a place where I can explore those questions with people who are interested in exploring those questions um, and who can show me and guide me as I do is, is really cool. So I'm just, I'm trying to remove my like type a achiever personality pieces as I get through that or even like when it comes to grades being a lot more gracious with myself going did I learn great that's the goal I didn't need I don't have to make an a I'm here to learn and soak in Um, now I I'm very perfectionistic so a lot of that still comes through. But uh, over and over, like, so I try to remind myself, like, every day before I take, before I go to class, like, this is for fun. This is a privilege. This is exciting. And you don't have to, like, hold yourself to all these crazy standards, you know, as you do it. Yes. Yes. Would you like to be an ordained pastor, like, in a church? Have you thought about that? I do not see myself being... Sort of like, well, okay. So there's actually a lot of things wrapped up in that question. <laughs> yeah. <there is. laughs> um. So first layer is, um, I think it kind of depends on I. Now I don't see myself being sort of like a senior pastor kind of thing in the way that we think of, um, in in the Western world. I don't really see that for myself. I'm, I'm not very pastory in the sense of like um having a lot of emotional capacity to sit with people and to like be there in it and like really really shepherding I'm that is that's really hard for me in a lot of ways um but I do see myself uh you know as a teacher as a creator of systems that um You know produce or attempt to produce or can be built off of and customized um in order to do the things that the church is meant to do um so whether that looks like working at a church or um you know coming alongside various churches um or none of that i i don't really know um ordination is kind of complicated as a person who attends essentially an evangelical church they are very affirming of women and they would have women and they do have women in their leadership um yeah but or and but i don't know that i'm also very like ordination is great but i also don't find it to be a necessary thing necessarily yeah. Yeah. um I like I think there are advantages to that and to making sure that you know people who take on those roles are prepared in a lot of ways um but yeah so all that to say probably not necessarily ordained pastory person that's probably not what I'll be doing though who knows God may surprise me but (laughs) I, I I don't I I doubt that yeah right um So even though you don't want to be an ordained pastor, you clearly love the church. I mean, right. I mean, I mean, people don't go to seminary because they don't love the church or God or the Bible. Um, Why do you love church so much? I love church for its potential. Um, And it's, it's, um, it's, t- it's design. Like, I think um, there is something so special about a community of people together toward a specific purpose. And especially when that is the, you know, embodiment in a way of God on the planet, right? Like that's sort of We are the embodiment of the Holy Spirit. And when we come together, we are church. And so it's the theological vision of church that really gets me excited. And it's what the church is meant to do, which is, you know, worship God, take care of each other, form each other spiritually, and, you know, support the community around it, right? To take care of the people outside the church, just like they do inside the church. And I think that is such a unique for lack of a better word, institution, um, that, uh, has such potential to create human flourishing that it gets me really excited. And so though a lot of church, um, church and churches, I think fall short and, and that's going to be a human thing or, you know, make me angry or disappoint me. Um, in some ways it's that sort of like vision of, this thing that can unite people of all tribe, tongue, nations, right into, in this common purpose and worship. um, That gets me really excited. Yeah, I think um, church has become a really hard thing for a lot of people. Um, Whether that's because of church leadership that they see that, um, is living up to what church should be or what they profess to be? Um, I think that we need more people talking about how much they love church because I just, I just don't hear it very often. I hear a lot of critiques about the church, which is valid. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, and if you love something, you correct it, right? Like I think we all think of that and there's lots of verses about that and parenting and things like that. So I think it's, I think it applies to the church. Like if I, but I do think like you, the, the way we do that and at the same time the way we don't just critique, but stick around and work for it's betterment is important too. Right. So it's one thing to critique and then to like step outside um, which I think can be healthy and helpful for a lot of people at different moments. Um, I've certainly felt the need to do that sometimes, or to at least give myself emotional distance from church for times, even if I was still attending, but, um, you know, I think we're most effective when we, um, as one of my podcast guests would say, like we, 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 give the call from inside the house. Right. And then we start actually like sticking around and loving the church into being the better version of itself. So I do think it is important. Like it is totally valid to critique. Um, But I think to critique without offering solutions or helping it to improve um, isn't always the most helpful thing. So that critique I think should be out of love whenever possible, especially for those who are within the church in whatever capacity that is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that that is so powerful and something that we don't do very often. I mean, I spent, um, most of my twenties critiquing the church and talking about how terrible the global church can be, but refusing to do anything about it. And I, I, I hope I would like to think that I'm getting better I'm um, the director of Christian ed Christian education at my church to kind of and that's part of why I took that job was because I kept thinking if I had these experiences and I want the children that I have now in church to have different experiences I have to do something about it I can't just like be mad and 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 that's kind of a global thing, I think, is that we just get so angry that we can't figure out how to help. Yeah, I mean, I think to a certain extent it's natural, and I think as you're sort of un- untangling all of that in yourself, that's okay, um, you know. But yeah, I think there is a moment where you have to sort of decide if you're going to be a part of the solution too and I think it's interesting that you say globally um, because my experience is that globally on a global scale the church is actually great and health and healthy in a lot of ways perfectly healthy no we're humans it's not ever going to be but it's been in the white evangelical space or maybe even more Western, Development. I don't know what everybody else's backgrounds are, but I know for me it was white evangelical evangelicalism and like figuring that stuff out. But even you know just Western um, modes of church that I found were more tripping me up. And so for me it was experiencing the global church that actually caused me to start separating those things and trying to reform within my own experiences because globally i was seeing a very different story wow what's the difference i mean i'm sure there are a lot but what is a difference or a couple of differences between the global church and then white evangelicalism um so just to touch on a couple of things because it's it's very involved but i would say so I used to work at a missions agency who would do um, sort of organic church planting among unreached people groups or places in the world um, that were um, for lack of a better word, hostile to the gospel or like hostile, hostile Christianity specifically Um, you know, whether they had their own national religion or whatever, they sort of like tamped down Christianity. And so in those spaces, what I found was that um, first uh, people were really, really committed to Jesus um, and and doing the work of the mission because for them, it was very real. And for these people, it was either like a lot of really good news that they had never heard before um, or weren't really explained before and that sort of really triggered and became an an exciting thing that they wanted to be a part of and that it meant that they left behind a lot of comfort um a lot of normalcy for them whereas like Christianity for us I think over here is pretty like the norm and I that's changing but you know or at least for me I grew up in Texas so Christianity just sort of was like a backdrop to my life. And for them, the people that I had met, that wasn't the, their experience. Christianity was either something they hadn't really heard about or thought about or that they weren't allowed to be a part of. And so them getting into that meant that they had to be really committed. And then on the next level, I would say, um, not just on that individual level, but on that corporate level, um, church was much more than the one time a week that they came, you know, to meet together. It was their life. It was how they interacted, um, with each other, how they built their communities. It became sort of like the cornerstone to the way that they arranged their lives, um, in order to take care of one another, in order to bring, you know, other people in their neighborhoods, um, the gospel and, the way that they encouraged and taught one another. Um, and so that's the way that it sort of permeated all of that. And the fact that, you know, none of them were ordained. None of them have seminary degrees. Some of them have been believers for a couple of months, um, you know, or a couple of years because that's what's available to them. And so the, the fact that the community then became the way that they safeguarded orthodoxy, right? Um, And that they learned from each other and not just from certain things. And then the responsibility for taking care of each other and discipling each other was something that was owned by everyone in the community and not just a handful of people on payroll, you know? And so there's a lot of that besides um, what may be more obvious in America um, from its sort of like privileged standpoint and the way that it, it interacts with. culture around it there's a lot to be said there but if we're looking at sort of like church specific those are some of the differences um in how it sort of operates yeah yeah i mean that sounds like a dream you talking about how everybody um churches their life and this is this is how we do it um i want that and i don't Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, yeah. Do you think that, do you think we can, or do you think America is, I mean, we are so capitalistic, you know, everything is about money. Everything is about power. Do you think it's possible to do that in America? Um, I think it's possible. I think it's going to take a long time. Like when I talk to pastors, um, or, you know, I've talked to some small group. Um, pastors, um, recently, and, you know, they're sort of looking at their small groups as their main discipleship arm of the church, which I think is the right way to go. And, you know, we talk about sort of like changing the mindset or like changing the way things are done. Cause they're even sometimes fighting their own leadership in some of that. And so I think part of that is, you know, you have to sort of be okay with it, probably being a slow <laughs> a slow change, like what are the steps and how can we slowly start integrating those? Um, and then I think it's, it's probably gonna start with a few small pockets of people, maybe within churches, maybe who have stepped outside and decided to do this on their own and not necessarily as a part of a larger local body, but like this becomes their local body. Um, and sort of almost like it does overseas in a way where it is so counter culture that it becomes something that's exciting and appealing to people again. Um, so I think it's possible and I and I believe that it will happen. I, I, um, I don't know that it's gonna happen on the scale that we see, um, that we think of when we think of church right now. I think it's gonna be very different um, and I think it's gonna be slow. I don't think it's gonna be fast. But I think if we start treating ourselves to look at it from that perspective and to your point, I mean, I think there is, there is the reality that we do live in this capitalistic society, that we do have to do jobs and, you know, be a part of the economy in a way in order to live and even have resources to take care of of ourselves and the other people around us, Um, but that we don't. But then we have to sort of like be able to shift out of thinking of um, church as sort of like the small group we attend once a week and the sermon that we go see Um, and and even compartmentalizing church like I was talking about before and sort of allowing thinking of church more like that family dynamic and how we sort of like – so it doesn't mean you have to be sitting and learning and worshiping like all the time, right? But it does mean – That it becomes sort of like the thing that drives all the other things that you do outside of, you know, the time that you have to work or even while, while, while you work sometimes, you know, I think, um, that it's a fundamental change of mindset and that's going to take a little bit of time or a lot of like, or some specific jarring experiences and some specific lives in order to do that. Um, but I do think it'll happen. Um, I I don't know that we'll hear about it for a long time though. And I think it is happening. I mean, I know people who have house churches now who are doing that kind of thing um, or even their small groups operate that way for them. And so, yeah, I think it's possible. Um, I don't know that I'll get to see the fruit of all that, but I hope I do. Yeah. I mean, that makes me really hopeful. Um, And you're right, even if we don't get to see it, maybe our children or grandchildren will get to see it or a long way down the road. But um, I think it's important to be doing this work now to get the ball rolling. Yeah. Um, So Kate, you talked a lot about discipleship Mm -hmm. and I want to touch on it because I think a lot of people get really um, apprehensive about discipleship because I think a lot of times we associate discipleship with being held accountable, which means like being um, disciplined if we don't do something right or if we do something wrong. Um, So I'd love to hear a little bit more about why you talk about discipleship so much. Yeah, so I think on the one hand, we think about discipleship as accountability. I think on another hand, we think of discipleship as knowledge acquisition, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And then to an extent, we think of like doing certain things, like going to church and being with people and giving our tithe. Like we think about these sort of like checkbox things, which these are, these are not, these are all good things, but I think we sort of, they don't make us into, who we're meant to be, right? Because I think the fundamental piece of discipleship is that it makes us more like Jesus. It makes us better people who also probably know things and also, you know, do things that are good for other people. But also this comes from sort of the place of character. So I, I sort of like to approach it from, you know, the, a threefold thing where I talk about orthodoxy. So that's sort of like the knowledge um, the things that we need to, to be versed in what we believe. Um, because I do think that's important. If you're going to be a part of a belief system, if you're going to say that you're this thing, you should be able to have some dialogue or know some of those things. Um, you know, and I think in that we are then led to worship God a little bit more by knowing those things. Um, and then of course, orthopraxy. So The things that we do together as church, but also the way that it bleeds out into our lives, like into how we are missional in the way that we talk about Jesus or how we, you know, take care of our neighbors, things like that. So the things that we do. But then I also think of this other piece that is missing a lot is um, what I call um, orthopathy. So it's like orthopathy, right? So it's more of like who we become. And when I look at, you know, the fruits of the spirit, that's sort of like, it's not just what we do or what we know, but it's how we do it and who we become because of all of those things. And so discipleship should make us not just smarter about the Bible and not just, you know, better, more efficient checklist taskmasters, right. But also better humans. Um, who don't just do things, but do things with the right motivation. And I think, um, we have sort of not just dribbled it down to discipleship to become like this knowledge acquisition or accountability thing, which can be really hard, but also that the ways in which we um, implement discipleship are really limited. You know, we kind of like, intend for our Sunday sermons to do a whole lot of heavy lifting (laughs) when, when, and this goes back to sort of our conversation about the church being our lives, right? Like one hour, two hours a week is not enough to counteract the discipling that the world is doing around us or that the news channels are doing around us or that social media is doing around us. Like we're inundated with all this stuff. And so we've got to, we've got to have something that counteracts that. And That one hour a week is not going to do it. We've got to be a part of each other's lives. And so I think accountability is important, but it has to be done again with love, right? Um, And it has to be done willingly. You can't just enforce accountability on people who don't want it. You can't help people who don't want to be helped, right? Or heal people who don't want to be healed. Like there's a give and take. And it also puts the onus of discipleship on everybody and not just on the pastor right and i think that's the other thing we see um a lot of pastors especially right now getting burned out because they're either not allowed to be around people as much because of covid or or they're doing so much because there are so many conflicting things happening within their congregations that they're sort of fighting all these different sides and they're having to take the brunt of it whereas like we are god's people we should be doing that together um And then, of course, doing that misses people. People will go into a church and not know, you know, be able to blend into the background. And um, some of them want to do that. Some of them want to be seen and they fall through different cracks in, you know, the programming or the life stages and the groups. And so they end up on the outside in that way too. And then they're not being discipled by people. So by making this sort of like um, more personal, um, and us all owning that and us working from it, from that holistic perspective, we can actually make fully formed disciples instead of just sort of like relying on all these little external things to indicate what actually is a a disciple. And it's hard because you can't measure that as well. (laughs) Like, how do you like, well, on a scale from one to 10, how patient was that person today? That's kind of hard, right? Like you can't really see that. And, and And it's not fully on you, right? The spirit does a lot of work in this too, but it's partnering with the spirit and each other that makes us disciples. And so I think this is important for all those reasons. Like people are leaving the church, pastors are burning out. We've got a lot of, you know, half-baked disciples um, who are missing pieces of the puzzle because we haven't worked them into the way that we, into the design of the puzzle. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to, shore that up so that we become better implementers of discipleship um, and better results of that so that we actually impact the world the way we were meant to impact the world as the church. Yes. Do you think that a church can be healthy without discipleship? So let's say there is a church where The pastor or staff whoever has tried to set up discipleship groups or maybe bible studies you know discipleship kind of placed into a bible study um and they're getting no response and just like maybe a couple people come but most people just don't want to do you think we can be a healthy church just showing up once a week and then coming to say uh, an executive board meeting or like something outside of something more on the business side of church i'm gonna say no though that makes me a little uncomfortable (laughs) um because i don't think that is um then performing all the functions of church so i see the functions of church i'd put it into four categories um which is worship which is coming together, worshiping God. That's sort of our vertical piece, right? And then I call it unity, but that's like the supporting piece of each other within, um, the way we take care of each other within the body. Um, and then there's sort of like the internal, which is the spiritual formation piece. So this is more of like the traditional discipleship stuff where we learn things and we, you know, practice things and we start forming each other spiritually. And then there's the external, which, um, I call compassion. So worship, unity, formation, compassion. And even the early church sort of had this, they were known for their you know, proclamation of the gospel internally and externally, their liturgy, so their worship um, and their fellowship and ministry. So if you're missing some of those things, if you don't have discipleship, then you're not performing some of your function as a church. Um, it's not just to come together and worship. And even worship is bigger, right? Worship is our lives too. Like our our lives are a spiritual act, um, of sacrifice, of worship, right? That's what Romans twelve tells us is how we should live our lives. And so, yeah, I I think if a church sees if a church sees that it's only um, thing or only performs that one piece, then it's not doing what it's meant to do. Um, and then the onus is on those that church to start making that part of that, um, making that message of what a church is, um, part of what they do on that Sunday morning so that it becomes important and exciting for people, you know? Yes. Yeah. Kate, I'm so glad that we had this conversation. I think that it's so important, um, especially talking about discipleship. I don't know that I have, talked this much about discipleship in a long time and that in and of itself is a problem I work in a church and I just I just think that we don't think about discipleship and church in this way um because church has become so transactional for a lot of people I think I pay you my pledge I come and then that's it yeah yeah and it's hard to disrupt something that feels like it's working and feels like it's going, right? So everyone's busy with their jobs. And so it becomes really hard to then stop and have the conversations about what we're supposed to be doing and what it looks like because it feels like those decisions have been made already. Um, and you're just kind of there to keep plugging away. It's almost, it, yeah, a lot of churches have become a little more corporate businessy than um, you know to produce like numbers and results Um, which I get, like you want to be able to measure tangibly what things are doing so you can share it with people and it's exciting. And if you know, and so that you can kind of see if the spirit is working. Um, but yeah, I think there's so much value in taking a pause um sometimes and just asking those big questions and it's kind of like a bonus for me is that I don't work at a church so I get to just kind of like ask these questions all the time and I think about them constantly and I just sort of like share them in different places um you know while implementing them as much as I can in in the groups that I'm a part of but yeah I think we miss a lot when we don't just sort of take a pause and go hey how are we doing what are we here for what are we What are we moving through and moving toward? Can we talk about that? Can we talk about, you know, the theological importance of all of this, but also what that might look like practically? And can we think about switching it up if we're seeing that something needs to be changed? I think we get really committed to, to like something because we decided that's what it is. Um, But if it's not working, we can change it. And that's part of what churches do is being, you know, contextually available to, what needs to be happening in your space. And so, yeah, it, it can get really, we can get really caught up in those like operational things. Um, So sometimes just stepping back and asking those big questions and letting ourselves wonder about it. It's, it's kind of fun, but it's also, it's also really important work, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I think I mean, I have already learned so much from you just connecting with you on Twitter and through your website. And um, I know that our listeners are really going to learn a lot from this conversation. And I hope, all you listeners, that you will actually keep learning with Kate. So, Kate, as we wrap up, would you like to tell everybody where they can find you, what projects you're working on, anything you'd like everyone to know? Sure. You can find me on Twitter at the Kate Boyd, which sounds really obnoxious, but it was just the only way that I could get my own name. Um, and then on Instagram, I hang out over there quite a bit, and that's at kateboyd.co, which is also my website, kateboyd.co. And if you like thinking about what church is and what it can be and how it might be available to you um, in spaces big or small or any sort of opportunity that you're in in your life, um, my newsletter is called Couches and Cathedrals, and I talk a lot about that. So you can hang out with me there um and you can find that at kateboy.co slash newsletter awesome yes and we will um I'll link everything too in the show notes so everybody can just link right on over Kate thank you so much you have already given me so much to think about like I think I'm gonna have to go journal for a while to kind of get my head all (laughs) you know back in order um before I finish my day but uh thank you I think that we, as a collective, are going to learn so much from you and your work. And I'm so thankful for what God is doing in your life and what you're sharing with us as a result of that. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to to talk about these things because I, I love doing it. So thank you for having this space for me. much for joining me today on this episode of the making room on the pew podcast as always you can find me on social media at Bailey Joe welch and online at my website baileyjoe welch and yes i will link that in the show notes because i know pomerance can get a little tricky to spell if you enjoyed this episode don't forget to subscribe so you are notified every time a new episode comes out And if you wouldn't mind taking just a few seconds to rate and review on iTunes, it would really mean a lot to me. Doing those few easy things allows us to get the podcast in front of more people so we can all continue to make room on The Pew. Until next time, this has been Making Room on The Pew.